Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippo is here. I'm Bob Wankel. And listen, man, this is kind of a weird episode that we're diving into today because the Phillies just lost their best player as we record. We don't know for how long. Is it going to be four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, the season? Uh, that remains uh, to be seen. But the Phillies are coming off of a 7-4 and four road trip capped by a three out of four in San Diego, four games over 500. And so while there's this black cloud sort of lingering over the team right now with the Harper injury, and I know it wasn't a perfect road trip, especially down in Texas, they finished strong and they had one of their best wins of the season yesterday. It wasn't one of the dramatic ones. It wasn't one of the crazy walk-off ones, but it was a really solid team win. And I think if you can get past the Harper thing, which is hard to do, there is a little bit to feel good about this morning as we dive into a huge week here with the Phillies facing the Braves, followed by the Cardinals. So, Anthony, I'll bring you in. How are you feeling this morning, and, and where are you at with a real active and uh, a real active weekend with a lot of developments for the this Phillies team? Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of things. I mean, there, well, how am I feeling? I'm. I mean, obviously, you never want to lose your best player. You never want to lose the MVP of the league, okay? That is, that is not an ideal situation. But if there was ever a team that you could sit there and say, you know what, let's take our best player away and maybe find a way to have it actually help us, it would be this crazy-ass Phillies team, <laughs> right? I mean, because there's nothing conventional about this team. Right. I mean, we've sat here all season long to this point and kind of like scratched our heads a number of times about the Phillies. Maybe we'll scratch our heads some more. Like, how the hell are they winning without Bryce Harper? But in reality, if you really dive into it, there's a chance here. And, I, you know, things have to kind of fall into place a little bit. But there's a chance here for this team to play well enough without him. And to actually improve things, uh, improve areas of their lineup and areas of their defense while he's hurt. So that when he comes back later in the season, after the trade deadline, you're adding an MVP to a lineup that is, like, pretty good already. And now all of a sudden, like, it's, ad it's like adding a star player at that point in the season for the big push towards the playoffs. I, I think... It's going to require Dombrowski to go out and get a player. It's going to require some guys on the roster to suddenly, you know, start to play up to their potential. It's going to require a couple of things. But is does the possibility exist? It absolutely does, and it's crazy to think that. Yeah, listen, I mean, there's a big if qualifier in there. If Dave Dombrowski goes out and sort of adds another bat, and then when he comes back, all of a sudden you may be better going forward. 
there are some some incremental because i mean listen we could sit here and harp on how this is a disaster and losing bryce harper is awful and he's he's running back an mvp caliber season with another one and and obviously this is no good and obviously it doesn't help the phillies but there are some incremental incremental gains that can be made and one is defensively Mm-hmm. What this will ultimately allow the Phillies to do is now take one of their their corner outfielders on any given night uh, and, and, and use him as a DH. And so now the combination in the short term of Odubel Herrera, Matt Veerling running around in, in center field and right field should be better than what we've seen with Nick Castellanos out there every night. So you do get a little bit better defensively. The Phillies are fortunate in that you still have Schwarber in left field. And you still have enough there where you can kind of flip around Herrera, Veerling, who's been a little bit better lately. Like, there's enough where you can survive. But I think, obviously, when you see Bryce Harper go down, the immediate thing that you go to is, wow, JT Real Muto needs to start hitting, and Nick Castellanos needs to start hitting. Now, yesterday was a good start for Castellanos. He gets four hits, all singles. But you're still waiting to see him drive the ball. And so I don't know how you watched yesterday's game. He obviously had a nice day at the plate. It was encouraging just to see him, you know, turn in some production. But I'm still waiting to see the ball driven into the gap with some authority. And until I see that, I can't be super bullish on him. So my hope here is that you get him off his feet. You get him some confidence where he's not out there making defensive mistakes on a nightly basis or or three, four times a week. And maybe... Maybe that sparks something. There's just such a track record there with that guy that I just refuse to believe that he's just a, a slap hitter at this point, even though that's sort of how he's playing right now. Yeah, but maybe, you know what, Bob, and, and that's and he's been playing that way for a little while, right? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and just try and sugarcoat it after a four hit game, but maybe what he needs to do is start there. Right? Maybe what he needs to do is because look, because right now he's been just Swinging at absolutely everything. I, I've never seen him like this. I mean, he's been an aggressive hitter in the past. Don't get me wrong. He strikes strikes out a lot, too. But he's he's a guy that's never been, you know, just this outrageously wild with his swings. Um, it, it, it's, it's, and, that's, and that's what I, I don't understand with, you know, his struggles. So maybe a game like last night is kind of the start that you need, not just because he got four hits, but because it was more making contact and making good enough contact to get on base. Now, yes, do we want him to drive it to the gap? Do we want to see him hit a home run? Yes, absolutely. That Those things have to happen. He, he's not going to get away with being a singles hitter for, with Bryce Harper out. That's not going to work. Okay, He's, got to, he's going to have to put it, some of that uh, you know, extra base production into play here. But if, it's, if that's the start that it needs, if he needs to let's get the swing back by just making good contact first and then drive the ball later, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, just to kind of give you a different perspective here, Nick Castellanos this season is averaging one extra base hit for roughly every 12 and a half uh, plate appearances that he's had. That's not very good. Last season... One extra base hit every eight plate appearances. So you see that just across the board here, 70 plus games, he's not driving the ball with any consistency. But I do agree with you in that perhaps you start to kind of accumulate some hits here and the confidence sort of grows and you stop pressing because there's some production in place and then you let your natural talent take over. One of the things that I can't help but watch, you talk about him sort of being wild, uh, diving outside of the strike zone. 
low and away breaking pitches. I yep. mean, like, my goodness, man. Like, you know that that's how teams are going to attack you. You got to either got to lay off or you got to just wait and, and drive. And you did see him yesterday take a couple pitches more on the outer half. He sliced one through the hole between first and second base for a base hit. And so you have to like that approach. You have to like the, the mental play on that. But then it has to roll over and say, okay, now I have some pitches I can do damage with and, and start to do damage with them. And I think we might have talked about it last week, but you go back to May 1st, roughly right about the time that he took over as an everyday outfielder, he has four home runs and over well over 200 plate appearances dating back to May 1st. And that is just something I simply did not expect to see. And the doubles haven't been there either. I mean, because look, Nick Castellanos isn't a 40 home run guy, but he can be a 50 doubles guy. And we're just not seeing that from him right now. And if he can get that going, certainly it's going to lessen some of the damage on Harper's injury moving forward. Now, one of the guys I do want to talk about, and we talked about him last week, is Kyle Schwarber. And yesterday, he obviously delivers this massive, game-changing, game-altering three-run homer, puts the Phillies ahead. It takes what looks like is going to be a loss on a getaway day. And it changes the whole vibe of the series. I think really the whole vibe of the road trip. If you if you go six and five after winning your first four games on a road trip, I don't think that you can really feel all that good about it. But considering where the Padres are at, and I know that they're missing guys as well, but considering that you're out west, you're playing a good team, facing one of the best starting pitchers in all of baseball, and you go out and get a big win like that, I thought that Kyle Schwerber home run was just absolutely massive yesterday. So you dig into the numbers a little bit more, and you start to look at it and you say, okay, what is Kyle Schwerber really on track for at this point? And it extrapolates out like this. 46 home runs, 72 extra base hits, 101 runs batted in, 103 walks, and 112 runs scored. I mean, these are massive, massive numbers. And they're all potential career bests. Now, obviously, he has to stay on this pace. Obviously, he has to stay healthy, which has been a problem for him in years past. But if he does, and you're talking about one of the most productive seasons that we've seen from an offensive standpoint outside of Bryce Harper, really dating back to 08, 09, when you're talking about those Ryan Howard, uh, you know, prime years, peak Chase Utley years. Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're going to need these guys to carry them at different points. I mean, Schwarber doesn't have to be exactly what you just described. But if he is, it's great. Um but at different points along the way here, while Harper is out, Schwarber is going to have to be the man for a little bit. Castellano is going to have to be the man for a little bit. Hoskins is going to have to be the man for a little bit. Real Muto is going to have to be the man for a little bit. And maybe then, you know, here and there you get, you know, one of the other guys kind of contributing, whether it's Gregorius or Veerling or Stott or whatever. I mean, you know, those guys all have to contribute like a little bit, right? As long as that's the case, Bob. It's good. It's fine. You know? So when you sit there and say, well, yeah, Schwarber's on fire right now. And he is. And it's, he's having a great month. And you do worry that he's going to have to have to come back a little bit, right? You can't. It's he will. Really, it, it, you can't sustain this, okay? So you do worry that that's going to happen. But at the same time, you then say, okay, well, then somebody else, hopefully, as he's starting to fall off this pace, is picking up the pace to be up to where he is. As long as that is that interchange continues to happen with this lineup, this Phillies team will put up runs. And that's that's really what, what it comes down to. They can't have games like Friday where Nola pitched his ass off um, and they didn't score and they didn't hit. I mean, they can't have those games. You know, once in a blue moon, okay, fine. But for the most part, there's been too many of those this year. 
So that that they can't have, but they can have what they had this Saturday and Sunday. I mean, you just hit, you just had two games without Harper, and I know Harper got hit on Saturday night. But let's let's face it, he barely played. Um, you just had two games without Harper, where the offense produced. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Yeah, I think you can feel pretty good about that. It's interesting that you bring up the Aaron Nola point because I, I want to talk about JT Realmuto again because, again, right, like everybody's yeah. looking at this and saying if Bryce Harper's out, they need these big money guys to step up, and we can have a conversation about him in a few minutes. But I do think it's interesting that you point out on Friday night they kind of waste just an absolutely outstanding performance by Aaron Nola. And it draws back to a, a larger point that I would make. If you say, what's the Phillies' formula for success, a path to survival moving forward, it starts with the guys that we just talked about. But one of the other things I think that they have to do, and they have been better at this lately, but overall, still leave a little bit to be desired, they have to win when their best pitchers are on the mound. And when they get outstanding starting pitching performances from guys like Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, they have to capitalize on those performances. And so if you look at it and step back for the whole year, Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, 28 starts this season. The Phillies are 13 and 15 when those two guys start. Now, that's obviously not good enough, and they can't play sub-500 baseball over the course of 162 and expect to reach the playoffs if those guys are going to pitch as well as they had and, and they don't have a winning record in those starts. But I know they, on this most recent road trip, were, were 0-2 there with Wheeler, or in their last two starts anyway, with Wheeler down in Texas, Nola in San Diego. Phillies are, however, 11-3 in the last 14 combined starts from those two guys. So they've been a lot better lately than they were earlier in the season, and I don't think it's a coincidence whatsoever that the Phillies' resurgence has kind of come on the heels of capitalizing on those starts. But it's something they have to do now, especially with Zach Eflin, who was pretty good in his last start, I have a bad feeling, though. You know, I thought that the performance was encouraging, but I did not like what I heard yesterday, which was Zach Eflin basically saying, still bothering me a little bit. Rob Thompson saying, we need to huddle, and this was yesterday, on Sunday night and kind of come up with a plan about what we're going to do here. Doesn't sound great. I just So when, when you consider what they're looking at there, they've got to capitalize when they get these pitching performances. Let me ask you this. You know, we've discussed this in the past when we were t uh, discussing bullpen troubles, which suddenly don't exist. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, it, in the past, we've said, well, maybe the solution here to help the bullpen is to let you know put a guy like Ranger back in the bullpen and go out and get another starting pitcher. Would consider what Eflin's going through right now, do you consider putting Zach there just for the rest of the season I, I don't so, think he doesn't so. Have to, so he doesn't have to throw so much and find a starting pitcher to replace him. I, I, I get the idea in theory, but I think that part of what he's dealing with here is is the, the wear and tear on the leg. And so, yeah, like, while every five days he doesn't necessarily have to plant and fire 90 times, I just don't know. I don't know the medicals behind it to say what does it look like the day after he throws, whether it's mm -hmm. just, you know, getting loose, throwing 20 pitches in an inning, can he come back the next day? I just don't know. I would think that if the knee is flaring up on the on the rotational schedule, that he's probably going to run into the same issues, revving up one every two days, two out of every three days. So I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's a viable viable option. And I I just don't know. I don't know how you feel. As much as I like Zach Eflin as a starting pitcher, I just don't feel like it profiles the same way as a reliever. 
But the Phillies are going to have to get creative, and I kind of like where your head's at and throwing the suggestion out. I don't mean to, like, dunk on it and say, no, absolutely not. But I just think that they're they're going to have to do something. And you, you talked about it at the beginning of the show. Maybe they go out and get another outfield bat, another bat to replace Harper in the interim until he gets back. And I think that that's one thing that they can do, but I, I really think that they have to. And I know that we've talked about this numerous times over the last few weeks, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I really believe, and nobody's talking about this, they have to go out and get another starting pitcher. They just do for this exact reason. And, it, it, you know, if it's a situation where all five of the guys that they currently have stay healthy, great. But I think that you might need that flexibility with Suarez down the line. I don't know how much you trust Kyle Gibson. I just think they need another arm here that can come up and be a number five type starter. I, I just think it's a priority for them. Yeah, no, no, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, if you look at Dombrowski's track record as a general manager, this is what he usually does at trade deadline. He usually goes out and tries to get a big arm, okay? So this is not – it would not be outrageous to think that, that that's part of the plan. Um, I, I just wonder – I really do, Bob. I just wonder how, um, how much he feels he, can, he needs to – ramp this up in other words does he need to start getting active earlier than the deadline or, or can he world. can he wait until august 2nd to to really do these things like can you can you get by for five weeks in this with the situation that you have and i don't know that you can i don't know that you can either like, i think that the phillies are going to stay in this so right. everyone on saturday night and i get it i mean listen i i'm watching it i look up and i see it and i go you know what I said? I said, oh, shit, <laughs> you know? which is exactly what Michael Bourne said on air. Yeah, I said, this is this is going to be bad. And they're in a lot of trouble now. And they're, I, you know, they're screwed. And then you kind of take a deep breath and you say they're not screwed. And they're probably going to I think they're going to hang around in this thing. But I do think that while they need guys from the inside on the current 40 man to obviously step up, put my air quotes together, step up. I think they're going to need some fortifications outside of what they currently have, and I think they need them sooner rather than later. Now, whether that's another bullpen piece, I get that the Phillies' bullpen's been really good the last five days. They still need help. Whether it's adding to this rotation, whether it's adding a bat, whether it's all the above or some combination of what we just outlined, I think they need to do it sooner rather than later. But because of this expanded playoff format, at least in the American League, I think that there's a few more teams that are probably going to linger around a little bit longer than we otherwise would see. In the National League, it's not going to be a factor. Right. Because there are, I mean, there are what? Six spots? And eight teams. Eight teams, and then the other the other whatever, remaining seven, I guess it is, they have no shot. Yeah. Well, so the interesting thing, and this is, this is why I, I, I said it the way I did, if you look at the Philly schedule, 12 of their next 15 are against good teams. But then after that, they go 10 out of 14 before the, all, before the uh, trade deadline against sub-500 teams. So does Dombrowski feel like he can tread water for 15 games with the current roster and then say, okay, now we, then we play some bad teams, so maybe we can even make it – we can get to the deadline. Or do you worry about these next 15 games and say – this is, the, this is the most crucial part of the year for us right now, considering the situation we're in. 
you know, obviously you probably wouldn't have said that if Harper were healthy and Eflin were healthy. If, you know, obviously it would just be, okay, that's a stretch of good games. These will be good games to watch and see where the Phillies are, you know, Atlanta, St. Louis, Toronto, whatever. Um, but at the same time, do you now look at it and say, well, this is a little bit more of a dire situation because of our roster, and we need to win. We got to make sure we're in a good spot coming out of these games, so let's go get the players now. Or can we survive this? And then still wait till the deadline, and maybe you know not have to pay as big a price. Yeah, it's really hard to say. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd make the move today right. because you have the Braves for three, you have St. Louis for three, and you know, look, I mean, the Phillies are closing in on these teams. They're a game behind the Giants right now. They're one and a half behind St. Louis. They're uh, three behind the Braves, right? Three behind the Braves. I mean, yeah. they're in striking distance of these teams, and if they have a really good six-game stretch here coming up through the end of this week, they could find themselves on the 4th of July holding one of these playoff spots. Yeah. I mean, that's how they're knocking on the door right now. And I don't think they're going to do anything this week. I don't, I don't, I really don't think they, not that they can. I mean, I cer certainly you could pick up the phone and make a crazy offer and get what you want, but I don't think that that's going to happen. But yeah, it's sort of a shame that you're not getting another week or two buffer against the sub-500 teams before you have this this massive week against the Braves and Cardinals. I think in a perfect world, it, this would be two, three weeks down the line. It's right. not. So, you know, here they are. They, they got to make a move, and we'll see. You know, they got to they gotta win these games right now. So we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I actually like the way they're playing right now. I think that they're in a good spot. I think that this sets up well for them. Well, I mean, you know, you're going to win games as you know, when you have the greatest bullpen in, in baseball, like they have right now. Yeah. Fifty. The last fifty-two <laughs> batters, seventeen in the third innings, they've allowed one hit and one walk. It's amazing. And, That's and it's, absolutely amazing. And it's not even their best guys. You know, the most innings out of that has been Nick Nelson, which was yesterday's three and a third perfect innings that he threw. He won the game yesterday for them. I mean, yeah. Kyle Schwarber and Nick Nelson won the game for them. Okay, yesterday. it was Nick Nelson who's thrown the most. The second most number of innings is, get this, Jose Alvarado, two and a third. And then it's Brad Hand, Andrew Bellotti, Corey Kniebel, all with two. I mean, you haven't even we haven't even mentioned Dominguez, right? If Brogdon's on the COVID list, he's been great. We know that. But, you know, those are the guys that have been doing it, and – that's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. Actually, I think it's 54 batters. 52 outs, one hit, one walk. That's what it was. 17 in the third innings. Yeah, how about this from Corey Seidman, going back to when they removed Corey Knabel from the from the closer role. Uh, Phillies bullpen. 164 opponents batting average, 0.94 whip in 12 games. Yeah. I mean, that's... And that includes, yeah, the, and that includes, that includes the Familia blow-up yeah. against Texas. In that. And look, I mean... Corey Knabel last Sunday was a disaster against Washington. You go, oh my God, this guy's totally lost. Looked pretty damn good no. yesterday, didn't he? Looked pretty good yesterday. Uh, yep. So you just kind of hope again that he he finds his footing, and then that's another guy to mix in. And so you do. It's it's easy, right? They're they're playing. They're, they're pitching so well over the last week that you kind of start to say to yourself, wow, in the hierarchy of the Phillies' current needs, maybe the bullpen isn't the, the greatest need. I still think it no, is. it's a need. I still think it <laughs> it's is. It's a need. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Now, one of the things that, that you mentioned is is maybe adding another bat. And I don't know that they're going to do this. I, I think that they will in some capacity. I don't know if it's a guy that you can play five days a week. But is it somebody that that is a platoon-type bat? 
Or do you go out and maybe make a, a longer-term commitment and roll the dice a little bit? And we talked yesterday, and I know this name is starting to be floated around. You look down at Baltimore. Baltimore is not going to compete again. Cedric Mullins, your thoughts? Give me your give me your scope. Give me your your scouting report on this idea. Yeah, I no, I I, I would do Cedric Mullins in, in a heartbeat, and not you know I know he's not having the greatest year in Baltimore this year that like you know like he's had the last couple of years where he's been certainly their best player, um, but he's he's also not terrible. I mean. Um, <laughs> Sounds like the Nick Castellanos conversation. Well, I know he had 70-plus extra base hits this year. I know yeah. his OPS is in the high 600s this year, but... Well, he's just... The, the one thing with, with uh, Mullins, this year, he's just not walking, right? So, I mean, his on-base percentage is a little low at 307. Um, but he's also not hitting the home runs that he hit, but nobody's hitting home runs. We've been through this, right? The, you know, the, they changed the ball enough that nobody's hitting home runs right now. Um, so, Mullins, who hit 30 home runs as a leadoff hitter for the for the um, Orioles last year, has six to this point this year. Um, I, you know, you, that doesn't just go away, right? I mean, you don't just suddenly not be able to hit for power at 27. Okay? <laughs> I mean, he's in his prime. So, I mean, I, I just look at it as a guy and say, you know what? There's a guy that you can bring in who's a, a pretty good defensive center fielder, right? So that automatically improves your defense. You could probably put him towards the top of your lineup and maybe even – Lead him. Well, I don't know. Do you, you, I mean, you, you don't want to touch Schwarber with as hot as he is, but maybe even like bump Schwarber to two and have Mullins lead off. I mean, who knows? Yeah, I mean, well, two things here. I, I wouldn't touch Kyle Schwarber. You're always trying to move Kyle Schwarber. Just let Kyle Schwarber lead off. <laughs> <laughs> just leave him there. I just don't want. If he's going to be this productive, I don't like him in the leadoff spot. If he's going to be this productive, Leave him in the leadoff spot. You're the one that's been telling me for the last three years about how look, uh, look, lack of consistency. These managers always jumbling their lineups. But here's what I'll tell you. you what, what kind of a pace is he on? You said he's on pace for 46 home runs, right? 46 home runs. That's great. What's he on pace for RBI-wise? Over 100. 101. Yeah. That, it's less than – it's almost like two per home run. That's nothing. If it's not broke, don't fix it. It's Stop trying broke. to optimize. Let's this is your take. I'm giving you your take. Yeah, well, it is my take, but my take is when you when your best player is out, you need – if he if now Kyle Schwarber replaces Harper as your best hitter, he needs to be in that spot to be pr more productive. He's not going to drive in runs as a leadoff hitter. He's just not. And I, I'm fine with him there with Harper hitting third. I'm totally fine with it. But when you don't have Harper in the lineup, I think you need to make that adjustment. I really do. And if you have somebody else who can come in, lead off, and get on base, then guess what? Then I make that switch. I don't mind, I don't mind it. I don't mind switching him up. If you want to make him two or three, that's fine. But at least give him an opportunity to have somebody on base in front of him to drive in. Yeah, listen, I get it, I, I, and I hear you. I do wonder if uh, the offense goes into another slump here, and they have slumped without Bryce Harper this season. Now, the right. last couple of days have been different, and that's great. I do think that the play will be to leave him where he's at for now, uh, but if they don't get the results rather quickly, we just explain the urgency with which they need to kind of approach this week. I wouldn't be surprised if sometime this week you do see a shakeup if, if things kind of go flat here. Now, that being said, one other quick note on Cedric Mullins. You talked about him being pretty good defensively. There are 17 qualified 
center fielders this season. Uh, of them, Cedric Mullins is second in defensive runs saved. So, mm. I mean, this would be a, a significant upgrade if they were to make it. That being said, we're talking about this as if it's going to be like a slam dunk deal. He's an unrestricted free agent in 2026. This yeah. would cost a pretty penny uh, in terms of prospects, probably, I would say, to, to get this deal done. And considering the offensive numbers, I don't think that this is a deal that, like, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh, the Phillies are in on Cedric Mullins. I think it's something they need to explore. I don't think that this is something that you're going to count on. No, no. You, no, you can't. You can't. But I think I, mean, I, I think that there's other outfielders. I mean, that's the name that obviously that everybody jumps at, right, because he can play center field. Um, and you're thinking, okay, well, once Harper comes back, then you got both uh, Herrera and Veerling coming off the bench. One is a lefty, one is a righty. You know, th- that kind of works for you a little bit. Um you know, and so you sit there and say, okay, yeah, that's a nice mix. Um, but he's certainly not the only outfielder that would be available. As a matter of fact, I think that there are a number of outfielders who are free agents after this year. Um, uh, you know, so that I think that there are guys that you could probably consider um, also to, to go out there that are not named Cedric Mullins. Um, does, uh, does Andrew Benatendi do anything for you? Well, he does because he's a 300 hitter. And he's a really good defensive player, but the only thing that I'm concerned about with Benintendi is, I don't know if he plays, if he can really play. I mean, can he play? I mean, sure, I'm sure he can play, but um, right field, but or center field, but he's been purely a left fielder and really good one at that for a while. Um, can you know? Yeah, I mean, he does a lot for me in, in that regard, but. You know, because he's a night again. You want to put somebody at the top of your lineup? Hello, <laughs> right? There's a guy that you could that you could put at the top and not be disappointed about. Um, it, how do you feel? I mean, he's not having a good year, but it may be Whit Merrifield. I mean, he could play out there. He's a pretty good defensive outfielder when you play. He'd be a pretty good defense player wherever you play him. Outfield, second base doesn't make like a Whit difference. Whit Merrifield's been on the trade block for uh, longer since the day he arrived in the major leagues. I feel like yeah. I mean, like guys like that. I mean, I, I would certainly consider them because. They're veteran players who know how to get on base. Um, they're not going to—they're not going to make your lineup a superstar lineup by any stretch of the imagination. But they can certainly help. I mean, so yeah. I mean, like there are other options that are out there that could the Phillies could turn to, to to you know bolster this this lineup until Harper gets back. And yeah, I would I would go either in those directions as well. So I have while we're doing the trade game, and we don't usually do this on this show. No. We're not like big like trade speculation, trade target guys. But I have a feeling the Phillies are going to be you know fairly frisky. I think Dave Dombrowski is going to be fairly frisky here over the next five six weeks, whatever it is before uh, the trade deadline. So I do have one more name I want to throw out at you, and uh, kind of pivoting gears here to the the pitching side of things. This would require a little bit of a financial commitment, but I would imagine that this player will be traded. Madison Baumgartner, 32 years old this season, $23 million base salary. Next year he makes 23. He makes another 14 in 2024. Would you? Um, I would. I have other pitchers I'd prefer. Is it the price tag? Is it the is it the commitment beyond this season? So is is it? I actually the thing I guess I'm trying to figure out with him. For me, it's a no. Someone brought this to me the other day, and I kind of thought about it. And he's had a nice season. I mean, he's done a nice yeah. job for Arizona. If it were a two and a half month rental, 
Oh, sure. I, I would probably be intrigued. And I don't know what his appetite for coming here would be. I mean, it is a veteran-heavy team. I would imagine that the, the clubhouse fit would be would be a good one for him. I just well, don't know he, if I'd want another $37 million beyond this season to him. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, I mean, that's certainly you know, the biggest concern, right? I mean, that, for sure, that's the biggest concern. Um, but he's kind of started to look more like himself the last – I mean, last year for sure – this year, you know, his, his numbers aren't as good as they were last year, but they're not terrible either. Um, I think that he, he's, he's actually getting kind of back to where he was when he was in San Francisco before he was, before he was hurt. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting name. It's an interesting guy. But I, I'll tell you that you could probably get Frankie Montas cheaper from Oakland. And he signed yeah, through, I, and he and, signed and for next say, year. I will say one thing with Bumgarner, too, is that the, the overall numbers look good, but he struggled a little bit lately. Like, he had a very, very good April. He was fantastic in April. Yeah. And then, you know, May, it was a little bit of a struggle. June was a little bit of a struggle. I mean, just to, I guess throw some numbers behind that so we all know what we're kind of looking at here. But if you look at it by months, he had a 1170 RA in April and March uh, in five starts. May at balloon quickly up to 533. June was 450 in five starts. And so the numbers are starting to dip, you know, or I guess inflate a little bit. And I mean, his whip in June in five starts, 1769. So there are some red flags there. And for me, I, I'm a no. I, I don't want the commitment at, at 14 million, 23 million after this year. 37 combined, and I just think that there's probably more more palatable options that are probably better fit financially for this team. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's why I mean that's why I mentioned Montas. I mean, yeah. when you when you look at it, I mean he's he's I think he's only making like five million this year, um, and uh, I don't I don't know where it goes next year, but I don't think it's much more than so that. So he's arbitration eligible. Uh, he'll have his final final year of arbitration yeah. next season, and then he's an unrestricted free agent in 2024. So okay, so but he's having a really good year, and if, if he's five million now, so when you go to arbitration, you think like little, you obviously get a raise, but not nothing huge. I mean, it, to me, that's like the trade like you made for for Gibson last year in the sense that you're trading for a guy who is going to give you a year and a half. Yeah, you know, and you know, I mean, he's 29 years old and having a nice season and, you know, for a bad team, it probably doesn't cost you a ton. I want to talk quickly about uh, some individual players. And this is kind of one of the conversations I always like to have with you. Yeah. Uh, we, we look at certain guys and we say, oh, wow, this is what they're doing right now. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And there are a couple of players that I think that we've been – sort of up on this season that are are now not playing so well. And I, I think it's worth acknowledging. Um, mm -hmm. First is, is Didi Gregorius. We talked recently that, yeah, you know, the power isn't really there, but um, he's, he's taking a different approach. He's cutting down on his strikeouts. The batting average looks pretty good. Now he's sort of gone through it a little bit lately. And now all of a sudden you're looking at him and, and you're saying, all right, he's hitting 262. He's hitting for absolutely no power whatsoever. You know, I know that they're not really married to him beyond this season, so in the grand scheme of things, like, I don't think there needs to be a ton of concern long-term. And I know that they are sort of thin in the infield as it is, so it's not like they're going to bench him. He's the guy, for better or for worse, but 
What's your overall take on on Didi Gregorius right now? Yeah, I, I'm I'm the same way with you, Bob. I mean, like I I was a little little surprised that um that that he's kind of come off of what he was doing. Like his approach was better, and like I said, I was cool with going with that. You know, uh, you know, he's towards the bottom of the lineup, and. You know, if you're going to be a guy who's going to start hitting the other way after being a pull hitter for so long and, you know, really kind of, you know, forcing teams to not be able to shift you so much and then have a little bit more, a few more options uh, when you come to the plate as far as, you know, where to hit the ball. You can you can turn on a pitch that's inside or you can or you can uh, spray the ball the other way on, on a pitch on the outer half. I was totally cool with that when you're batting DD seventh, right? I mean, that's all right. That's fine. I don't care that he's not hitting home runs when he's hitting seventh in the lineup. But now they need him to do more. Um, he batted cleanup last night, and if you well, you laugh, but I mean, it's a, that's he did. It's where they had him. I mean, if you're gonna, you know, try and rely on this guy to to make up a little bit of the a, a little bit of the slack lost from from Harper, then yeah, you need to see more. You definitely need to see more. And if you, and if it's not there, then I, I don't know how much longer you can you can go with him. I really don't. Um, yeah, it's that's a little bit of a concern for me. Um, right I'll now. tell you what else is a little bit of a concern. So we noted it before. You look online, radio, everybody's talking about Real Muto, Castellanos. You know another guy that really kind of needs to get going for this team and and quickly, and he's capable of it because we've seen him do this? But Odubel Herrera, who we've yeah. been, I don't want to say quick to defend or anything like that. I think that always comes with this disclaimer. That, uh, yeah, we don't really like him, but, you know, he's done a nice job and he deserves to play over Mickey Moniak. And I, I've always kind of held firm on that. But Odubel Herrera has been dreadful. Uh, and he's been dreadful now for a few weeks. And the overall season numbers are starting to reflect it. I mean, the OPS for him is down to 686. He's hitting 237. He's now kind of trending significantly under his career averages. His last 28 days... He's hitting 186 with a 526 OPS. He's 11 for his last 59, and he only has two extra base hits during that stretch. And I know that we've been watching this now for for a handful of years with this player, but you watch him go through these stretches where he looks like one of the most dangerous hitters on this team, and then he goes through these stretches where he's completely and utterly lost. And I understand that's one of the big reasons that everybody wants to move on from the player. That being said... They need him. Like, they need him the way that this roster is currently set up. If they don't go out and make that addition that we've been talking about, adding that bat, they need Odubel Herrera to give them some pop from the left side with Bryce Harper out, with Didi Gregorius not being able to drive the baseball. You have Kyle Schwarber, and that's all fine and well, but you still see Bryson Stott trying to feel his way through things. Like, they need somebody from the left side to come in and, and give them something. And right now, they're not getting that. Yeah. Which is why earlier in the season they were demolishing left-handed pitching and they struggled with it over this past weekend. You yeah. know, like like Odubel Herrera was doing a great job against lefties. Like, well, now he's not. You know, and they, they just need they need something here to kind of offset it. You can't go right-handed heavy because they're not built that way. You know, we, we've seen that. You know, we talked earlier in the year about before Matt Veerling's resurgence. Oh, they need another right-handed bat. Like, this lineup right now... With the way that some of these guys are going, there are gaps. And so while I feel great about what the Phillies did this weekend, and I do think they're going to stay afloat, 
I think it's going to be on the strength of pitching and timely hitting, not this relentless brute force offensive production. And, and that's, I guess, a concern here. Well, it's, it's funny how, how streaky hitters go sometimes, right? So you look at, a du- look at O'Double, and from June 1st to June 15th, which was 10 games, he hit 333, 400 on base, yeah. 956 OPS. From June 1st to June 15th, here we are recording on the morning of the June 26th. So only 11 days ago, he was on fire. He then went through a six-game stretch where he went 0 for 22. Okay, that was the four-game series in Washington and the two and the, the two games in Texas. 0 for 22. And that was terrible. He's got to hit the last two games against San Diego um, that he played uh, yesterday. Um, and then... Uh, uh, actually, we're recording on the 20th. Did I say we're recording on the 26th? We're recording on the morning of the 27th. My bad. Um, but yesterday, and then the first game of the series, I think he played, right? So the last two games he's played, he's gotten a hit. Okay. All right. Maybe maybe now, you know, he's he's gotten over that offer, and he's starting to come out of it. But yes, you're right. He needs to, he needs to be more consistent. Again, this is a situation now where it's all hands without Harper, and you can't have those 0 for 22 slumps. Nobody. Nobody can have that. Not O'Double. Not Bryson Stott can't have it. Like, you know, the Johan Camargo can't go 0 for 22. Like, no one can, okay? Everybody in your, on your roster has to be more consistent. Not everybody has to be on fire and hot at the same time. That would be great if they could. But they don't have to be. But they have to at least give you something when they're in there. And and so you so yeah he had a terrible six game stretch. He's got a hit in two in a row. Let's let's hope that that guy kind of gets him back going to where he was earlier in the month. Um, if not, and he's going to stick with this it kind of in this, you know, where he's been the second half of the month, then you might have to consider at some point just you know moving on. But it, but for now, I mean he's still there. He's still got value. Let's hope that the streakiness turns back in the other way in the other way around. Yeah, and the other thing that I'm, I guess, somewhat encouraged by to kind of take it more in a positive direction, we, we had a good conversation about Alec Bohm last week. Don't want to dedicate another 10 minutes to Alec Bohm, but I will say, like, we, we said he was timely with his hits and how good he's been in the ninth inning. Is it just me? I it kind of eye test. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I didn't dig this one up. It does look like Alec Bohm is starting to, I don't know, drive the ball a little bit more. Like, don't doesn't it kind of just look like he looks a little bit more comfortable at the plate right now? Yes, and it's interesting with him because he he does just again based again based purely on you know memory and eye test and all that good stuff. He does look like he that's the case. I I'm but at the same time, it's almost like. He, he only it, it's in spurts you know what i mean like he does it and it, it happens like for several at bats and then he goes through like a few you know a small small little slump where he doesn't have it but then it comes back again and then it goes away it's again yeah, it's, it's you're, a, I mean, you're exactly right i mean you can weird. kind of you talked about taking like 10 game clusters or 10 day runs with hitters and you see like if you go through now, he has three doubles over his last two days, but like the five or six games before that, nothing. But then the few games previous to that, there's a couple doubles, a home run mixed in. It's just like you you want to see a guy not go five or six games without 
no extra base hit production, but it, I just feel like, I think what I'm really trying to say is that it's, it feels like it's coming. Like, I feel like he's starting to get his footing and I've always kind of been a little bit, I don't know. The, the last two years, like everyone's like Alec Boom, like you got to let him play. Like he's, he can unlock it. And I've kind of been like, Kenny, like, I, I don't know that he can. Right. But I'm starting to get the sense like he's getting close. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way, Bob. In the last 20 games, he's got seven multi-hit games. I mean, that's not nothing to sneeze at, you know. I mean, he's for a guy who's not considered a real on-base kind of guy. Um, he's, you know, he has been getting on base. Um, yeah, he he still doesn't walk enough for my take tastes. Um, not that we, you know, we talked about last need week everybody about how to be, you know. Fight. Fine, honestly, there, yeah. there there could be a little bit of a you know that might be a organizational go go get it you know yeah yeah type of approach. but yeah but I mean seriously I mean you know when you're when you're getting two hit games and three hit games you know that there's something to that I mean and even if you're not even if you only get like the one hit well you know I, again I'm going back through just I'm looking at his game log right now the game against the first game against San Diego he didn't reach base uh. And the eight to seven crazy game against Washington, he didn't reach base. And then you had to go back all the way back to Arizona for him for find another game where he didn't reach base. So like right. two two in the last fourteen fifteen, he didn't get on base. I mean that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. I mean that's. I just it, get the sense that there's a, he's never going to be a thirty five home run guy. He's never going to be this this massive slugging third baseman, which is what you kind of. I think hoped he'd be. Yeah. But I, I do think that you're starting to see a guy that that's going to be around, you know, that has a shot to actually to, to do something, to, to stick. Yeah. I, I, that's my sense. I, I, there's big picture concerns. I don't think that Harper and him align. I don't think that that works. But there, I, I think that I, I'm at the point with him where I just feel like, hey, you know what? He's done more than I thought he was going to this season. And I think that there's there's something there, like that he's mm-hmm. trending in a positive direction. Yeah. You know, one of the other things I want to just talk about uh, quickly before we get out of here. Do you expect on August 1st for the Phillies to be holding a wild card spot? Do you expect for this team over the next little bit more than a month to make that move, to cut down those two or three games on, on a couple of these teams be holding a wild card spot right before the trade deadline. So, okay, so we I mentioned 12 of the next 15 are against winning teams, and then 10 of the following 14 are against losing teams. So basically it's 14 against winning teams, 13 against losing teams, the next 27 games. That gets you to the trade deadline, 27 games. So if you look at the 14 games against the winning teams, go 500, 7-7, seven and seven. And then look at the 13 games against losing teams. And you want to be better than that, right? So let's say 9-4. and four. Is that fair? Right? So if you're 16-11 and 11 in your next 27 games, you are nine games over 500 going into the trade deadline, you probably are in a playoff spot. Yeah. That's how I look at it. I mean, you know, it's... We're not we're not asking for the world here, right? I mean, we're saying 16 and 11 is that doable? It certainly is. I, I mean, I know you said, well, is it doable without Harper? Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it, you look at the teams you're playing. Yes, it is. It's it's certainly doable. So yeah, tread water against St. Louis, Atlanta, Toronto, and then have a winning record against Washington, Miami, 
the Cubs in Pittsburgh. You know, I'll, I'll say this. Just look at this series against the Braves, and we talk about how important this week is. You get Charlie Morton versus Zach Wheeler to open things up. We're talking about baseball at the end of June, and so I'm never going to use the word must win. But the Phillies, the Phillies need this series this week, right? Like, yeah. if they want to kind of stay within arm's length of the Braves, who have been outstanding, I think that this is a series they have to have at home. And I feel like that they left something on the table when they were down in Atlanta for that four-game series, and I think they probably feel like that as well. I think that's part of the reason Joe Girardi's no longer here. So you have to kind of go out and get that opener. And then you have Suarez and Kyle Wright on Wednesday night. You have Ian Anderson, who's been whatever this season, versus Aaron Nola. But with Wheeler starting the series, Nola at the back end of it, and then I think kind of a 50-50 game in between, you better find a way to come out of that series two out of three. Mm -hmm. And then you're hosting the Cardinals, who we've talked about it. We understand they kind of have that voodoo magic thing going on this year. But that's not a world beater of a team. You're at home. You're going to have Wheeler pitching that, that Sunday night national game to close out this little six-game stretch here. Find a way to take two out of three against the St. Louis team because you have to play them again in July. And I do think it's going to be difficult to win a series against that team out there, especially Sands Harper. This is an opportunity for the Phillies to play two really good teams this week at home, go four and two, and kind of say, hey, you know what? Like, if we're talking next Monday, well, we won't talk next Monday because it's the 4th of July, but we wake up on July 5th, and the Phillies are six games over 500, coming off a winning winning six-game stretch against these two opponents, I, I think all of a sudden you really start to say, there's something here. There's mm -hmm. something here. I think this is a real big belief week for this team. Yeah, I agree with you, and, and I think that the way things line up, um, pitching-wise, I think it, it does favor the Phillies to, to do that. just what you su suggested. Um, it's it's really going to be incumbent upon the lineup. It really it really is. I mean, it's really going to be incumbent upon the lineup to remain consistent, um, and you know they don't have to be 13 hits a game like they did yesterday uh, in, in uh, you know, missing Wilder, missing Harper, but they do have to be productive. They have to take advantage of that. When you get guys in scoring position, you got to score them. you got to get them home. Um, and if that means getting a little bit more creative, if it means every once in a while doing something that, you know, going back to the olden days, right? Let's, let's, you know, if it means moving a runner along, you know, hit behind the runner or, or bunt for heaven forbid, or, you know, something along the <laughs> steel base, you know, things like that. If it means you have to do that every once in a while too, to kind of jumpstart the offense, then by all means, like, you know, go yeah. ahead and do it. All right, well, hit me with the one last thing, and let's close well, this thing down. How, how do we not do one last thing about the brawl? I mean, come on, Bob. That, to me, was one of the – so, I, I know. Here we go. This is unwritten rules, right? Here we, we love the unwritten rules. But, man, if you're a manager – think about it for a second, okay? You're, you're, the, you're the Angels manager. You're Phil Nevin, who's an interim manager, mm -hmm. by the way. And you got, you got the Mariners – Throwing at the heads of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on Saturday night. What the hell do you think you're gonna do, you need to do to get your team fired up and ready to play and, and kind of bring that locker room together and maybe you know try and write your season on Sunday against that same team? Don't you have to throw at them? Don't you have to? And the fact of the matter is, look, I know that the first one the kid misses behind Rodriguez's head like just because it was awful it was like a really terrible pitch but at least when at least when he hits Jesse Winker he hits him in the hip like it's not like he threw at his head and Jesse Winker's a veteran he should know better than he should just 
take the hit. All right, I got beamed. Let me go down. Let me go down to first base. But no, he starts chirping with the dugout and being the tough guy. And it sets off this huge melee, which, don't get me wrong, it's one of the better brawls in baseball that you'll see. All right? it, was a, it was an old school brawl. It was <laughs> yes. a throwback brawl. Eight total ejections, six <laughs> players, Anthony Rendon showing signs of life. That's the biggest contribution <laughs> Anthony Rendon's made to the Angels in three years. The left to Winker. Uh, and then uh, you got the, the what was it, seeds tossed out onto the field. That was chaos. And then the, the double the double bird to the crowd. Double bird to the crowd. <laughs> It was it was entertainment, man. It was awesome, and so it's why it's why I sit here and be like, "Hey, look, if this sets stuff, look, you don't need these all the time. Like, no one says you need a brawl every game or even every other game. I mean, if you get four a year, that's that's fine. But the fact of the matter is, is that I have zero problem with what Nevin did yesterday. Listen, it was great entertainment. That Angels team is better than they've played uh, certainly, you know, over over the last month plus." That's an opportunity for that team to kind of find itself. Maybe that is a rallying point. I know that stuff kind of comes across as corny and cliche, but listen, over 162, especially when things aren't going well for a team, you need moments, you need things like that to kind of send a jolt through a clubhouse. And whether or not you want to acknowledge it or not, players will tell you that that issue or you know incidents like that can sort of have that galvanizing effect to it. And so I don't really have an issue with it at all, to be honest with you. <laughs> Attaboy. Yeah. boy. Yeah, he got me on that one. <laughs> Where you wouldn't get me, though, is like Blake Snell breaks Bryce Harper's thumb. Right. Bryce Harper's obviously upset in the moment. They've known each other forever. Harper's yelling at him. Then he's like, I know. I'm mad. You know, you just got to. Why the fuck? You know? Yeah, exactly. And so then I, I saw a lot of people saying, like, next one, you got to go right at Cronenworth's chin. You know? No, 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 no. no, no. That's, not like, the, that's not the same thing. Obviously, I'm Snell was out. not intentionally trying to hit Harper there. You know, and then, and then Harper came out and said, you know, I guess, I don't know if he said it or whoever said they texted him, you yeah. know, and told yeah, him, you know, yeah. don't change, keep pitching inside, you know, like that. I mean, so, I mean, you know, obviously that's not an intentional thing. But what the Mariners were doing, you'd mean to tell that looked, really looked intentional, high and hard to both yeah. Trout and Otani. I mean, it's not like you're, to, you're high and hard to the two best players on that team. You watch it enough and sometimes you know – and you know when it's intentional and you don't. And even yeah. when you, you'll never know for sure, you, you just got a vibe. There's no way the Harper one was intentional. But what happened between the Mariners and Angels? <laughs> Go ahead, guys. Figure it out out on the field. I love it. I love it. It was great there stuff. It was great theater. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be back later this week after this Braves series. This is a massive series for the Phillies. You know, not only in terms of the standings and, and trying to, to stay within reach of Atlanta. Phillies do have an opportunity, three really good games here to even things up, which would be uh, which would be quite something considering the stretch that the Braves, too, have been on. Uh, so we will be back later this week to break down that series, look ahead to the Cardinals series over the weekend. So for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Thanks for tuning in to Crossed Up, and we will talk to everybody soon.